0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Hello and welcome to The C86 Show. This is David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. Just a bit. Anyway, this week, it's going to be the turn of Norwich bass band The Colour Form who were around in the early 90s up to 1994, I do believe. But anyway, we will find out more because I spoke to their lead singer, bass player and songwriter, Matt Nagy, to find out more about life, love, poetry and all the other groovy stuff that happens when you're in a band. And uh, as they refer to themselves, what was their style of music? They called themselves Tribal Groove, Tribal Groove. It's a new one on me, but it incorporated a bit of rock, funk, and even a didgeridoo. They were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. Anyway, after some casual chat with Matt, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the musical journey of a life, of a person's life. And this was Matt talking about those early years when he became interested in music. Matt, it's over to you.
1: Well, I'm a 68, baby. Right. So um, you know, I was, and my parents were um, were '60s music, '60s early '70s music lovers. Right. So, you know, I grew up with Stones and the Who and Van Morrison and uh, the Beatles. Uh, they didn't do they They didn't do Zeppelin for some reason, but they did the other. They did the other main New York City radio mainstays. But like, interestingly, the first single that I ever, the first album I ever bought myself was um was probably probably a david bowie kind of a best of album right and um and that but you know but then as we grew up sort of 80s kind of california funk came in so red hot chili peppers were right one of my faves and when we when we were color form and um and first starting color form we had a, a really young drummer named uh nathan and uh uh, just for the first couple, the first year or so, and he loved the chilies as well.
0: Right, so that, so that,
1: that, that influenced us hugely as a as a band.
0: So your parents were quite hit to the trip, then, because my parents, were, I suppose, might be a bit older, but they were into country and western. I suppose there was a certain amount of Elvis, and then there was lots of people like. I don't know, K-Star, Teresa Brewer, and then some really terrible country and Western music. <laughs> and, um, and so, so like, you know, the, the Beatles thing, I mean, they were slightly aware of it, but I suppose at that time, they were just kind of that slightly missed them. I suppose with each generation, you know, the 16 to 18-year-old, you know, that's the kind of formative years of music and, and the next generation that comes along and... and and all the next musical scene, they're, they're actually way by, you know, they're in their early 20s and they've slightly missed it and they don't quite understand what they're singing about. So they kind of they weren't into the 60s singing at all. And I think during that period, being kind of from the working class background, you, you didn't have much money. So most people have that kind of cliche that, you know, when they got married, got home, they just sold. It all their procession, processions just to sort of try and survive for a few years. It was quite <laughs> in the old days. So music didn't really sort of enter. It was Top of the Pops, the top 40 on a Sunday evening and all that kind of stuff that, you know, we were into. And so, you know, Top of the Pops was such a big thing then. And, and obviously the older generation just didn't get it because it was like, you know, that whole thing of like, oh, you can't tell it's a boy or girl, even though they had a beard, but they had long hair. So long hair back in the 70s still freaked out the older generation. So there was obviously, a, you know, a great cultural divide. So then when when did you start sort of from listening to music to thinking, actually, I might want to be in a, you know, play an instrument?
1: Um, I, you know, to be honest, I mean, uh, you know, I grew up in New York and so growing up in New York, um, you kind of, you've got the chance when you age seven, you've got your chance to pick an instrument and join the school band, so I played, I wanted to play a clarinet because my sister did, but actually I, pl- I wound up playing the trombone. That kind of just got me playing music. I had piano lessons as a kid, you know, for a couple of years, and then I kind of, I didn't practice, so I stopped. But when I was um, a teen, I started picking up the acoustic guitar, and I'm um, having guitar lessons. But I met two other guitarists at age 13 who were great guitarists and said, we need a bass player. And I said, oh, I think I can get a bass. So <laughs> it was a, fresh, a frustrated guitarist. I became a bass player. I mean, age 13. Right. So, you know, we had our first band. You know, we used to do Velvet Underground covers. And then my younger sister, when I was 14, my, my 11-year-old sister joined the band to be a female vocalist. We were doing Pretenders covers. So, oh, you know, my cool. precocious 11-year-old sister is singing <laughs> the Chrissy Hine lyrics. From the first Pretenders album. Hilarious. Nice. That's great. You so know. what was New
0: because New York during the 70s is kind of well documented as almost being sort of derelict and, and had been abandoned and was in huge debt. And, you know, there was a lot of people who were living in very cheap apartments and there was the kind of the birth of punk in, you know, in that period in 75 rap music, disco as well. And most people are spoke to. Yeah, Yeah, so most people say, well, you know, we could, young people, when when you're young, you don't mind living in squats and sort of living in sort of horrendous housing and stuff like that. So when, in the 80s then, how was New York beginning to change and, and, you know, kind of develop?
1: Well, interesting, you know, I mean, so late 70s, you know, disco was kind of the radio music. But late 70s was when there was the FM radio revolution. Yes. And, you know, we had a couple of rock stations who all the way up to the late 80s refused to stop playing 70s music. So, so we, you know, we we literally were growing up. The radio was full of the, the big four British bands. You know, it was the Stones, the Who, the Beatles and the and Led Zeppelin. And yes. then you'd, you'd also get some kinks and you'd get some this and some of that. And meanwhile, the kinks moved over to New York for a while. And yes. kind of The Muse and the, and the Pretenders came on the scene and in the late 70s the Talking Heads started with the 77 album. Yes. Uh, Psycho Killer and then and, and then their next album was huge. So there there was a so there you had punk going on, you had alternative going on. You know, R.E.M didn't show up for a number a number of years, mid 80s, I guess. Um, but we had we were growing up with things like Joe Jackson Elvis Costello, um, you know, things like that. But then there was that real terrible keyboard period in the 80s. Yes, the
0: keyboard which uh,
1: Which um, a lot of the music stations that we listened to refused to kind of get into.
0: Yes. Well, so, it's in, I suppose it was interesting because you had... You know, there was that. You know, this is a really simplistic way of looking at. It. But you know, you had that punk period. Obviously, you had other scenes going on as well. But there was definitely punk. Then you had post-punk with you know Gang of Four, Magazine, Peel, and then the early '80s was the birth of kind of, I suppose, an indie sound with people like U2, Simple Minds.
1: Oh yeah, um, U2. U2 was huge in in, in New York. Yeah. U2. Oh my goodness, it was it was huge. Um, but but it was but New York's weird. So it was U2. But Death Leopard got as much radio, and Van Halen, they all got the same amount of radio play. It was hilarious. And yes, there was punk, you know, the cl- but The Clash was far bigger in, in New York than, than the sex businesses. You know? Yes. I mean, so, they play,
0: um, I suppose they, they, they sort of went on and did several albums and play play, is it she- Shea Stadium, Seven Nights or something drastic? Yes, like
1: yeah, yeah, they did, they played so, Shea Stadium. But
0: then, yes. but then at the same time, you had LA, who was doing their sort of, the hair metal period as well, which was developing Ugh, like.
1: Which I, I, I kind of, it, it was tongue-in-cheek, I mean, MTV arrived on the scene. Yes. And without MTV, I'm not sure glam metal would have made it as much. You know, but glam metal definitely made it. And, you know, I mean, Def Leppard were huge, but, and Van Halen were huge, but then he started getting Poison and Scorpion and, and, and all the un-bands. Yes. And, um, you know, and that was there. But so, you know, we're in the 80, mid-80s. We're, like, getting, we're coming towards the end of high school, starting to think about university, and all that stuff was there. But as soon as we got to university, it was the indie music of, of America and the indie music of, of of England, kind of merging into the radio scene. So we're talking now late eighties. We're talking Pixies, and um, and um, but we were also getting stuff from from over in England. Oh, no, so Pixies and REM and stuff like that. But we were getting some of the indie bands from over here, starting from over Depeche Mode started to become popular over there. Yeah, um, you know. Um, a lot of, I just love music. i played music all my life. i played music since I was, i played like bass since I was 13 and I was in bands for years and years and years. Excellent. And the joke I make with my family, people say, why did you move to England? And my joke is I was avoiding law school. Because <laughs> my dad's like, okay, you're graduating. So 90, 1990. Well, 89, I came over and I did six months at the University of East Anglia. Oh. Uh, at the UEA and so um, I did six months there and I met a bunch of guys and we we learned some songs and we wrote some songs. We were called Up I don't know and we is. did one gig and then I had to leave the country cause my, my stuff was over, but we were such a pop band. You know, the main influences were the Wonder Stuff and the Sears, you know, so you're talking, you're talking late eighties, early nineties. British indie music, indie music. And we were, you know, so we, we, we wrote four or five songs. And when I, when I went over to the States to do my last year over there, the guys actually came over and we did a gig over there and we recorded a three track demo. And oh. I, so when I left uni at the, in, you know, at the mid summer 90, I moved to England to try to be in this band called Up and Unfortunately, within a month of arriving, the lead singer moved to Liverpool to go to university. <laughs> God, it is, it is. And the drummer moved to London, and I'm, so I'm sitting there, it's me and the guitarist, going, what do we do? So we put a new band together, and that became Colorform.
0: Yes, well, it's interesting, because I just did an interview with somebody who's put a book together, an American who'd come over to England in sort of 89. and. Right. Um, yes and, and was absolutely obsessed with the kind of flyers and posters of kind of punk and post-punk and indie music from that period right. and if i could find it which i won't be able to just at this minute oh yes i can cheesy crazy it's the book's called too fast to live too young to die <laughs> and um anyway he's he's an american i think he's now in new york and uh, oh, yes right. he'd come over to uea for a year um, so it was quite an interesting connection. So look, so during that period, look, the 80s. Obviously, I love the 80s. So 83 yeah. to 87, I put down as the years of that classic indie pop, which is also the years of the Smiths, so that's a great theory. Yeah, and so, so between yeah, 83 to 87, there was all these jingly-jangly bands. There was the Smith yep. go-betweens, the June Brides, you know, lots of, yeah, and the Triffids, loads of that kind of stuff. Sort of 87 comes along, 88, the Smiths break up, my God, what a time. Tragedy, yeah. but then Ecstasy appears on the scene. Du, du, du. I love
1: that band!
0: And uh, so, so Ecstasy came along, and and um, obviously the young people started taking it. How dare they? Anyway, the music scene suddenly changed, and a lot of those bands were like, "God, the next album, we can't be in, you know, in, you know, the jingly jangly's got to go. We've got to sound like the Stone Roses." The happy monday's primal scream Suit dragon and most when actually we've been together five years we're sick to death of it we're gonna not bother because we're not going to be able to do this and we are 25 and we're over the hill that is generally a slightly sweeping statement but almost true and then you had this sort of grunge period the 80s sort of nine when you know we had bleach from nirvana yep, yeah and nirvana you had all that sort of up. sub sub pop stuff and then you had the buttholes so, so, uh, sonic youth you know, you mentioned the Pixies, the Throne Muses, and it was just that kind of honeymoon period. So there was that kind of great kind of, I just realized that each kind of-
1: Dinosaur Jr. Yes, God,
0: it was just like each little kind of pocket of time just kind of creates a new music scene, which the previous generation almost like, even though they're still young, they've only been together a few years, that next album, you know, they're going to have to sort of up their game otherwise. And there are a lot of bands who were still going through that period, like the Copto Twins went into the 90s, but you, you know, they and and obviously you too, and, and people like that, but yeah. quite a lot do sort of fold at that point. So, how did you manage to sort of? So, actually, I didn't realize you had sort of had that American connection. So, you went back to New York, then you came back to England, they all buggered off, and then you were left with the guitarist. Who was the guitarist at that time? Yeah, uh,
1: Paul Smith. Paul Smith. Paul Smith. So, Paul Smith. Um, uh, who was the guitarist all through the color form and then the guitarist of the band that followed the color form, which was called the Watchmen. Right. right. So did yeah. you So did you finish it? Were you doing law still at that point? No, I never did law. That was the joke. The joke <laughs> was, you know, I'm my, like, you know, like every every Jewish mother says, oh, you know, oh, my son wants to be in a rock band. My joke is, oh, my goodness, my son wants to be a lawyer, you know. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't want to be in a rock band, you know. My yes. Own, like, kids will, my kids all play instruments. My oldest son is a great guitarist. But, um, did, but, by um, the way, can I just ask
0: you one question? Did musical theatre play a part in your life?
1: No. Uh, the, the funny thing is I did play bass in a couple of musicals. Right. And there, but, like, our joke is that we hate musicals. And we realize we hate musicals. Although I grew up with them, you know, we hate them because our life is a musical, you yes. know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we grew up with West Side Story, and and um. I was just uh, singing the Fiddler on the Roof, basically. Oh yeah, we we loved Fiddler. We loved Fiddler. We loved West Side Story. That was the big one. Hair. I loved Hair you know but um you know but as we grew older musicals became lamer and lamer in my opinion and um yeah we're never like they were in the 70s but anyway (laughs) yeah so you know we can't so there i was it was me and paul and we're like what do we do we're like well i'm sure we can find a drummer so we found a drummer and and, oh can uh, i ask you another question how did on on the visa front then how did you get around navigate that Uh That's really funny. I came over on like a student work visa thing. Yeah. So I basically had a year. I had a year to make it in the rock band, you yeah. know, and, uh, and arrived and the band fell apart, you know. So we quickly formed a new band. Um, that was Paul knew another guitarist named Dominic Wood. And so he joined us and we found this drummer named Pete, who was with us for a very short while. But then we found another drummer named Pete Left and we found another drummer named Nathan. And Nathan was with us for he. He actually he, he only left because he got into uh, uh uni music uni in London,
0: right? <laughs> Otherwise
1: he would have stayed with us. He wanted to be a professional drummer, so he left us to become a professional drummer. And uh, and then we we got Nigel Emblin, right? And Nigel was just you know just very very different, and so into our kind of our indie red hot chili pepper mix of music suddenly we had this kind of influence of uh you know of kind of cool groovy music dj guy because nigel was, could, can i ask you nigel. another question
0: was yep. nigel in a soul band called the planks yep.
1: yes the planks. he was because i was, was. Ba-
0: i was friends with the bassist joe bernard for a while yep. and joe yep. Yeah, and he was Mr. bailey Jill Bass.
1: and Jill singing, yeah, and Jill Bailey singing, and you know, and you know, Nigel was doing, you know, he, eventually he was doing his kind of his uh, his groovy thing called the uh, I think it was called the gas station, yeah, something like you know, that. But I, I remember
0: seeing the planks because because there was a film that had come out which was that sort of it had a soul soundtrack, and suddenly for two years soul music was in and the planks just played this almost, we're like, oh, actually, we this is our set. And suddenly everyone wanted to play, you know, go and see the planks, didn't they?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And So, you know, I don't know, they fell apart for whatever reason and he joined us. And and then when the band, sadly, in kind of like 94, just kind of fell apart.
0: Yes, but before 94, so look, the 90s, so you get, well, see, the narrative of most bands, God, I've done so many. Um, so, you get together, you have your 12 months, the honeymoon period, where you rehearse rehearsing in yeah, various yeah, dingy yeah, yeah. places. Did you at that stage feel like there was some sort of magic and things started to fall into place?
1: Um, um, we had this, you know, by the time when Nathan left us, we were a bit gutted because there was something definitely happening. You know, the, the songwriting had changed a bit with his influence and this chili pepper kind of love of the chilies my bass playing shifted a little bit. And the way we started writing songs was different and we were really getting a group. So when he left, it was very, it was, uh, you know, it was a bit upsetting. Um, and we thought, oh no, it's gonna fall apart. But then when Nigel joined, it added this other flavor. And, and, we, we, and we also had uh, Barney uh, Knoblet, Barney on sax and BVs. You know, yes. so we were five piece, two guitar bass with bass as a bassist lead singer, drums and and sax and you know that was our lineup for years
0: and then a didgeridoo got thrown in
1: and then you know <laughs> and then we met giles and the didgeridoo joined and then we met this other guy oh my goodness his name's escaping i can see his face and his curly hair and he but he we just loved him and he uh he's gonna kill me if he knows that i forgot his name I'm so sorry <laughs> And um, it'll come back to me when when the interview's over. And he started playing a bit of percussion with us and he had a decent voice. So he was singing some BVs as well. So suddenly we had three or four guys who could sing. Yes. Who do multiple part harmonies. Unfortunately, he left. He was a bit of a traveler. He went traveling. And then we wound up getting the the percussion player from uh, one of the competitive bands who were around at the same time. Whose name is also now escaping me, unfortunately. <laughs> I didn't mean, prep very well for this, apologies. And, um, and he, was, he was great, but then, sadly, as I said, in '94, the band kind of fell apart. Yeah. But
0: you'd, from- you'd, you'd, you'd played a lot of gigs because I had I'd seen you at the Art Center. And then, bizarrely, as my, yes, just was talking about this earlier, we put you on in I Turn Hall.
1: Ah! So that's yes. possibly
0: where you saw me, and I didn't yes. know that. Yeah, I'd sort of yeah. forgot that as well. Yeah, should have a better memory. But yeah, so but mean, but, I, but you'd gone into the studio. You'd you'd sort of done quite a lot of recording, and, and also you'd played a lot of gigs yeah. around Norwich. So you must you must we have did. felt that things were starting to move, and you were sort of yeah. Our, so it, it, only it was, yeah. I was just going to say, interview. you must have felt like you were potentially
1: in it. You must have felt like this could be it. Dude, towards the end, we could fill 200 capacity hole very easily. And it was, and we were, you know, felt, felt good. We were making music we loved, you know, towards the end, we stopped writing songs and we kind of, well, not, not completely, but most of the songs would come out of the jams. We would just jam and we'd be like, and then like Van Morrison used to talk about how melodies would form out of nothing and, and nonsense would become words and all of a sudden, words would form and he would have a song. And that's kind of, so we would jam with a bass and drum groove. The guitarist would put stuff in, the percussion players would play, and we, I'd be humming something. And then I'd be, mm, and, the, uh, and, the, and the next thing I knew, lyrics came out of thin air. And so, to, you know, the last year, that's how we were writing songs. Yes. So we were putting songs out all the time. We constantly, you know, I, you know, I've been sitting, going through tapes, sampling tapes in, because yes. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna release it all on a on a new on one of my sub label on, on my label, yeah, and uh, and I'm gonna get it all on Bandcamp and iTunes and Amazon Music and Spotify because to... I think yeah, people so... would love
0: that. Because my you know going back to my my great narrative, you know, like you have the twelve months playing music and, and in the kind of 80s period, most there had been especially at the turn of the decade there was a lot of unemployment so a lot of people just signed on they did the job seekers allowance enterprise alliance yeah. schemes they went well that's brilliant we've got that paid for and our rent paid for and the cancel tax but we'll be in a band and then you know they do a single John Peel Give it a play John Peel session that first album thing's going really well and then touring around the country so how did it in the 90s how did your kind of narrative work because you you definitely recorded because I got your 12-inch single, which was exciting, which you haven't... Heard.
1: Oh, I loved that. That was great when we did that. Yeah. Three on one side, two on the other, man. Um, um, so, okay. So we had the year with Nathan. Then we moved over to Nigel. The band kind of formed and changed. We got to the point where we were playing in London only once every two to three months, but we were huge in Norwich. So we were big fish, small pond. So we were enjoying the music life and enjoying the gigs very much, but we just, we never got that John Peel session. Cause you know, we would get gigs at the Mean Fiddler and some of the other great venues that were around at the time, but they would expect us to bring a busload of people down and we, you know, we could only manage a minivan. Yes. So we would bring a minivan worth of people hoping to pick up new people there, but, they, but we were playing with a bunch of other people who brought minivans worth of people. So when we played in London, it was kind of, it was a long slog and it was the pits. You know, it was the pay to play ages, you know, buy 50 tickets, try to sell the 50 tickets. That's how you make your money. So basically we would all, we all either had jobs or were on the dole to afford our lovely habit of being in a band rather than we were a successful band who were living off of the earnings.
0: This is tricky, isn't it? This is kind of because I I sort of realise that, you know, a band does have that sort of lifespan and you've got to have those moments where you've got to progress to the next level kind of eventually because people are just going to go, actually, this isn't going anywhere and though it's great fun and, you know, blah, 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 you know, it just has that feeling that, it starts to waver so that little kind of review in the NME or the Melody, me, melody Maker or the John Peel play gives everyone that bit more hope it's like oh yes we've got a bit more hope we can do it another time yeah. you know we've got some gigs around the country because I think when bands start especially in those days and, and every town and, and city would have a like an indie alternative night didn't they you know and someone would just randomly phone up from Leicester or Leeds or Glasgow or Brighton, Bristol, Norwich and just say, do you want to come and play on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and that was like enough for people to feel yes definitely we'll come there and you know and I, I guess you had the gatekeepers in those days you know and John Peel was one of them That he had a kind of focused concentration of people so a John Peel play would get you 150 you know, people probably at the Norwich Arts Centre because somewhere in the county enough people would have heard it to think oh yes I'm going to go and see that indie band because i've just heard john peel all the john peel session and stuff like that so it's yeah. it, i can see that how you just kind of how do we creep out of this like you said the big fish in a small pond is tricky Yeah, isn't it? we
1: we just couldn't jump pond you know we we we, we didn't we didn't make it in the big smoke and you know and um, there was you know there was some some um, rock in the canaries uh um dvd project with like you know 20 songs from east anglia on it and um Yeah, we managed to get on that. Yeah, that didn't. You know, I I think Catherine Wheel were the only band who had success after that. Right. Yes. Um, um, You know You know, we we would we would basically all work, save up money, go record. Yeah. We spend our money on recording. You know, and our tour bus was like (laughs) our tour bus. Yeah, we bought some crappy ambulance and painted it green, and and you know, it was it was it was wonderful and it was terrible. And, know, how like did the dynamic,
0: always... and how did the dynamic of the band cope within those kind of four years? Because obviously you had a few personnel changes, which is sometimes the, the case. And then obviously yeah. everybody being in that band and young. And that was the time when there was, you know, I mean, when you're young, you know, people smoke and drink anyway. And then there was a lot of ecstasy around. So how did the band cope with that kind of slight rock and roll lifestyle?
1: Well, you know, we, we all... We all really liked the rock and roll lifestyle, you know. Uh, half of us lived, half of us lived together outside of town, and then I wanted to move into town, and so half of us lived together inside town at one point. You know, like a two-minute walk from the waterfront, yes. where I had to work in the kitchens to afford my rock and roll lifestyle. And then Waterfront went down because because of what, you know, financial reasons. So I moved over to the art center. I worked at the art center in the kitchens, to forward my rock and roll lifestyle. You asked an interesting question about visas. I managed to extend my visa. At one point we had um, a manager. He helped me get a one-year extension as a musician, which was awesome. But by the time it came through, the one year had already lapsed. So I got the stamp and I had another month. Anyway, I was dating some lovely girl at the time. And she said, look, you know, I don't really want to get married, but I'll marry you so you can stay. So I got married so we could stay. Hey. But, what actually, <laughs> yes, but what actually, a friend of Julie's actually, her name was Emma. And, oh, okay. um, and um, you know, and we decided, you know, well, like we're boyfriend, girlfriend. Look, yeah, we'll, we'll try to make an honest go out of it. So we moved, I moved out of the band house into other rented accommodation with my wife <laughs> and uh, uh, on the other side of town. And that kind of distance from the other guys, one of the other guys moved in, then they moved somewhere else, but whatever. And, um, but you mentioned like the drugs and the drugs and alcohol. So they were off doing various drugs and alcohol and going to various musical. Um, things and raves and stuff like that, and got into that. And me, I'm playing Happy Marriage and 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 uh, domestic still life. being in the band, domestic life and being in the band. And I don't know, just there was a heart disconnect, sadly.
0: Right, God, that is tricky. It, it was like Fleetwood Mac, but not quite.
1: Yeah, yeah sort of. <laughs> the heart <laughs> disconnect was I didn't want to do E. No, you know, I liked my alcohol, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to go down the E trail, and. um you know, and, and a lot of them did. And, and then the band, but, but Paul also didn't want to go down that trail. And the next thing I knew, Paul said, hey, do you want to come and play with me and Pete? Just have a jam. So Pete Lee and Paul Smith and Nigel Emblin, and we played together. And we basically, we called ourselves Octopus, and then another band called Octopus showed up. And then we tried to call ourselves a gas station, but Nigel's like, that's the name of my club. So we settled on The Watchmen. Right. So when Colorform broke up, we were the watchmen for a number of years. Yes.
0: So just going okay. back slightly to the Colorform, did you, Um, because I kind of, you know, having this, <laughs> talking to you. I, I know, did,
1: apologies. I didn't mean to take it away. I was just. No, no, no,
0: no, that's fine. I was just kind of realizing as my brain was starting to sort of remember more because I was, you know, very friendly, really good friends with Julie at the time. And so. Yeah. Kind of heard about Giles and then met Giles and. Yeah wow and um the didgeridoo and all that kind of stuff and there was that was a period and obviously i've seen you know a few photographs of the band and it all comes back um in it was a very sort of there was a lot of travelers the levelers had been become really big
1: oh yeah the levelers were huge and, and everybody and wanted and to be and MCs. Yeah. yes
0: and, and there was the orb and there was lots of people going off for weekend raves absolutely yeah. came in it for days on end yeah. and um yeah so there was definitely that kind of I just remember thinking god there's a real culture of people living the rock lifestyle and you know Charles was in this band and and it yeah. was all everything was going to be amazing but then at the same time you could see from the maths it couldn't be that amazing because there's there sort of a, a lack of money and the, and that kind of um yeah I suppose it's like keeping a band together and keeping it a th- you know a fuse with the vision you must have did you feel like you were the you had the baton of the, of the colour form. Was it your kind of, you and Paul's kind of vision?
1: Um Yeah, well, um, because Chris Catchpole had left, who was the original singer from Up, um, and he left, and when he left, we became the colour form. Um, I was the bass player who did BVs, and I stepped up to basically be the lead singer. Yeah. But as the lead singer of the, t- uh, in the time... The music of the time, the indie bands, the lead singer would always become the focal point. I think, you know, you know, Blur, it was all about Damon, you know, yeah. and and you know, and it was Supergrass, it was all about Thingy, and and Oasis, it was all about you know Liam, unless Noel sang, but yes. everyone said, no, Noel's the guitarist. He's but not the, yeah,
0: the singer was always the one, the focal really. You Best know, basic. Happy
1: Mondays, you know, you know, all that, and and you know, and and Primal Scream, you know, it was a. It was it was all about so so what would happen is whenever there was an a, an article to promote us, they would do a whole bunch of band shoot, but but they would position me kind of in the front a bit more, and then when they wanted to do the interview, it was usually with me. Having said that, I I, I do kind of command the stage, and as someone who commands the stage, it means I also command the PR. I'm but not who, afraid. But who was to but who
0: was writing the music and and doing the music?
1: I was also writing almost all the songs at the beginning. Well, <laughs> yeah. I was writing all the songs, you yes. know. Um, I was writing all the lyrics, unless we were jamming. And then if it was a jam, like, so the, the credits of any song would be Matthew Nagy. But as the band progressed a bit more, the credits would be Matthew Nagy and Colorform. Right. So because we would jam the music, but then I would still be the one who wound up you know, writing the lyrics and stuff like that. Yeah. And actually we got in an argument about it once. We were we were nothing, you know, <laughs> we, we had not made it. We did not have a record deal, but we were trying to release our first vinyl, which was a big deal for us. And actually I think it was Giles I got in an argument with because he was saying, well, maybe I should write some lyrics. If, you know, if, if the pub, if the pub, uh, publication, the, the um, no, the pub, um, Thank you, that word.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, that
1: word. Anyway, with the P, Um, um, you know, if the royalty rights go, if the money's gonna come in and 50% goes to you because you wrote the lyrics and the other 50% gets split by us, that's not fair. (laughs) And I said, dude, look, let's just get a record deal and we'll figure it out, I promise. Everyone will be fairly remunerated, you know? Yeah. but it was a hilarious argument you know <laughs> like, like, we're not we're not anything yet yet you know sadly in the past anyway
0: yes because because the one thing i've noticed um from from all these interviews, publishing just, sorry publishing i know i kept thinking of publication i thought it's not yeah, yeah, yeah. publishing anyway. so yeah it's about timing you know i, I did an interview with a uh, richard strange from doctors and madness from seven and he was like big in 75 ish Yep. But he said that the trouble is we were two years too early for punk. So all the band, all the fans were coming with the punk people who formed bands and then like seventy six, seventy seven, like, voila and Richard Strange and, and the Doctors of Madness were like, shit, we missed the boat, really. We we kind of it's we we're now kind of like almost we're twenty-five, we're ba- we're basically old folk. We're not we're not part of that scene. And a lot of people have said, you know, you've got to get the timing is kind of really critical in music. But you were obviously at a time I remember there was another band called Flowered Up and there was that kind of cause you did have this kind of ravey groove to the music, which was kind of essential, and then you had that yeah. percussion. I think it was a jimbi you had at one stage, or some sort of bongo. Yeah, we had Gemma, So yep. you had that kind of hippie look, which was of levelers. Yep. And then there was obviously a lot of the traveling community and the rave community. And yep. then you had Britpop. So you were kind of almost lining up for that kind of right. We've spent the years a bit like the Beatles playing Hamburg, yep. you know, working the circuit, going nowhere fast. And then suddenly, like, okay. We've done the homework, we've done the study, now we can do it. So did you, I mean, did you sort of, when you look back, do you think, guys, you know, Britpop was about to happen and we were there in the band. We kind of could have, we could have got there somehow. We could have been part of that.
1: Well, we were, we were, we were the other, we were the other bit as Colorform. We called our music, we described it as tribal groove. And out of the blue, the levelers, Aphex Twins and Stereo MCs all showed up, and Tribal Scream, uh, Tribal Scream, Primal Scream, you know, d- released that album that was much more remixy. And Massive Attack released that album that was much more remixy. You know, yes. the the, the uh, uh, No Protection, you know, the, with the Professor remixing the whole thing, Mad Professor, and um, and we were just there, and we something could have happened. But what happened was the drugs and the alcohol, I think, and me moving to the other side town, I think we all just kind of lost interest at having been around for four years and not going anywhere. So what happened was Britpop hit much bigger. I mean, you know, cigarettes and alcohol and, um, and the... the uh, that Big House in the Country album, which is escaping me, the name is escaping me at the minute, hit at the same time, and Supergrass's album all hit at the same time, and another few great ones, the one by Pulp. And Britpop was born very quickly out of thin air, but when the band fell apart, we became the Watchmen, and the Watchmen kind of did Britpop. Right. We changed. And the Laws were around. That was the other, other band. Yeah. Right? So did and you we just... just so the Watchmen followed the, that, that path instead.
0: Yes. So did you all sit down and have a conversation or did you not show up at a rehearsal? or Did someone just think, I'll let someone else do
1: the you know organize, and then no one did? Um, I think it was something like that. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. But One of the last things we did was the band met. We had a lockup where we rehearsed down near the waterfront. And, um, and we used to let it out to other people too. Um, like, remember that band Skunk? Ska Punk? Anyway. Uh, yeah, you know, oh,
0: and, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they have
0: two, did they have a female, a woman saxophonist?
1: Maybe, yeah, And, and maybe, some quite
0: biggish chaps who were, I don't know, I think they just danced on stage probably.
1: Yeah, something like that. And, um, <laughs> and you know, so a bunch of people, you know, also used, used the lockup, but, um, so we had, we, we recorded, we're like, gee, there's a whole lot of songs we've never recorded. How about we get the tape recorder, which actually, if we just stick the tape recorder, if we set the instruments all up, all around in a circle and we put the tape recorder in the middle, we're gonna get a great recording. And we did actually get a great recording. And, um, and we recorded all the songs that we never recorded that we wished we had recorded. We recorded them all, we were gonna release an album and the next thing I know, I kind of hadn't heard from the guys in a matter of weeks. And I heard that they were thinking about moving out of the house where they had been. And it would all been to a rave. And they had done a bunch of this and a bunch of that. And another, we're going to another rave. And I just thought, oh, I think I'm tired of this. And Paul approached me and said, I'm tired of it. And Pete and I started writing songs. Now, Paul was always... rhythm guitarist never the lead and one of the things pete lee did to paul smith was say dude you know how to play guitar you need to do some lead and i'll do the rhythm but pete lee could also sing lead he was in another band name of which i'm I'm, you know forgetting at the moment and they approached me they said how would you like to sit and actually write some songs again and so and the watchman was born out of that
0: Yes. Did you feel quite relieved? Because I remember there was there were some quite not heavy characters, but there was a kind of a there was a bit of a sort of wrecked scene, wasn't there? I think you had a guitarist who was pretty he had gone sort of gone beyond just a sort of bit of smoke, didn't he? He was quite into heavy drugs. Was that true? Have I just made that um,
1: Dominic? Um, well, um, I um, I because I had moved out I don't have first hand experience and because you know, but yeah, I think so. I think that was true. I think yes. there was just this period where the guys were just looking for the next party kind of thing. And, um, you know, so I think that that did happen for a while. And I think that that kind of helped seal the deal of breaking teleform.
0: Are all the bands still alive, by the way?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's still alive. As far as I know. There's no casualties um, yet. Yeah, no, you know, and, um, you know, and, uh, we, you know, we, now we just kind of, speak to each other on facebook occasionally excellent so then yes although lunch they came to my when i had when i you know i wound up breaking up with the girl and we kind of called it a day on the marriage so you know i had my permission to stay in the country forever and i'm a british passport at that point right when i got when i got properly married to you know to to the the woman of my dreams 20 years now um they almost all of them came to the wedding Excellent. Well, that's all good. So how, just
0: briefly then, how did the Watchmen, how did that develop and what was the story with that?
1: Well, so we decided to write some songs and then people, um, we, we got a gig almost immediately at the Art Centre, opening up for somebody decent, who's, who I don't remember, but, um, and it was really quite exciting. And all the Colour fans showed up for the Watchmen's first gig. And we had one song that were sort of dancey and colorform-esque, but all the rest were Britpop. Right. So within a gig or two of the Watchmen starting, we lost most of the colorform audience because they're like, this is Britpop, this is not tribal groove. Right. But but hey, we were together for like nearly two years, at least for a year and a half with Nigel on the drums. You know, we did a whole load of recordings. We just had a lot of fun writing songs and, playing music together. So we did, I think we did another two years as Watchmen. And I think at that point, Nigel said, Nigel said, I think I'm done. And we got the original drummer from Up, Rob Thompson, back. But Rob and I lived in London at that point, And Pete and Paul lived in Norwich. So Rob and I would have to catch the train up on a Sunday to, to rehearse. And that got tired real quick. And it just fell apart. It just fell apart because I lived in London. I got in the computer games industry and I lived in London. And and then I didn't do music for years.
0: Yes. So is it the case now that you have slowly started to look at your archive? Because the one thing I've noticed with a lot of people that a few people have continued music. Mostly they don't. They have that kind of five years. It's really intense. It finishes. They feel emotionally like, God, I don't want to do that again kind of thing. Um, and then sort of 20 years later, 25, they go, actually, I might sort of rediscover a bit of it because it was quite fun. And also ones at an age where things have changed as well. So have you also had that kind of experience recently?
1: Well, so, um, so I think after The Watchmen broke up, I, many years passed before I kind of started playing again. Um, and I was playing just to- a totally different type of music in a totally different scene. But I've been playing for ten years with the same guys. And what we wound up developing was we wound up developing a once a month event where um, where we just go and we would just jam. And songs appear out of thin air. But so we but every song was like twenty minutes long.
0: <laughs> Excellent. We we're, we're talking. So is it a bit Grateful Dead meets? Um well <laughs>
1: Funnily enough, uh, you know, uh, it, it's actually worship music, but it's nothing like worship music at all. Right. It's actually, it's just a singing our hearts out and, and w- really deeply in touch with our spiritual side. And people would join us. We call, you know, like, we call it hippie Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people just come to worship God. Basically,
0: yes. Right? So, so they come so you got an you got a band, you got an audience, and you got a groove.
1: Yeah. So we were just and but so we were you know we were double guitar. That's hilarious. I stuck with the double guitar, bass, and drums format. We've always wanted a keyboard player. We just never managed to find the pro, the right guy. But yes. um, but we started playing with Ableton, and we started playing with loops. So we would preset a whole load of loops that sounded nice together. But then we would play Ableton live as an instrument, pretty much because we were not good enough keyboard players to play keyboard live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we would get loops, but we would play loops as an instrument. And I mean, we've got five albums out, you know, And, and I have albums worth, I have weeks worth of music that I need to go through and mix and release. But because you approached me recently, and I said, "Oh, let me get some music to you," I got out all my old, I got out all my Colorform cassettes. Excellent. And I just started sampling, and I bought one of these things to sample the music into Logic. Excellent. And I've just started sampling everything in, and I'm, I'm, and I thought, you know what, this music is great. I've got it. So all the Colorform music is going to go out.
0: It's going to get and it'll go out.
1: out. It'll go through because I've got a Distrokid record label. It'll all be on Bandcamp. Uh, well, Bandcamp separate, but it'll be on Bandcamp. It'll be on yeah. SoundCloud, but it'll be iTunes and Spotify and Amazon and Google Music everywhere. Uh, and I'm just going to release it. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even, unless they're terrible, I'm not even going to master them because most of them were not perfect recordings, but they were pretty much mastered already to the level. Yeah, yeah. For, you know. So they're all at zero. There's, there's no headroom for mastering at the moment. I'm just gonna release them as is, but I'm gonna release them in the album formats that they originally were with the original artwork. This is fantastic.
0: You this know, I good. mean this
1: there's twenty albums worth of music there. The only one I don't have is the vinyl and it's gutting. I need I need to get the vinyl on somehow onto electronic for, digital format. Uh, so I can release it.
0: Annoyingly, um, just <laughs> I did have it for years, but then when you move house a few times, I think you eventually we don't even have Go a record somewhere. player, you know. Yeah, and, you know. But someone will have it. I'm sure if you put it out there, someone will say, "Of course." Of somebody,
1: course. somebody must have it digitally. Somebody's got to have sampled it. I mean, yes. I think I have three albums still. But if I can find a record player, I can probably, yes. I could probably sample it in. You know. So I just, I mean,
0: just last, well, not lastly, but nearly lastly. I mean, did you did you did a spiritual kind of awakening happen in your life that sort of has had a kind of major change in your kind of not just yeah, not
1: just your life direction, but your sort of musical direction as well. Um, Well, this is really funny. So, okay, so yeah, uh, um, I did get radically saved, quote unquote, Um, you know, I became a born again Christian. I was very disgustingly religious for the first number of years, simply because I just didn't know any better and I didn't know what to do. And I scared off most of my friends, talking to them about Jesus, trying to win them for the Lord. Actually, you just and, um, question on the Jesus front, because I'm, okay, I'm not a husband, yeah. but because you said you were Jewish. Yes. Yeah, I'm a Jew. So I'm a Jew who a Jew who found Jesus. Try telling that to your Jewish mother. That was the conversation. Oh, That's I for another, wished I was there. <laughs> oh my goodness, a fly on the wall for sure. But anyway, I mean, some of the conversations we had were hilarious. Anyway, um, when f- I finally came out of the church where I got saved and born again and served there for a number of years. But whilst I was there, I picked up the bass guitar again for the first time in however many years. And so I just played in the worship band and I sang. But at some point, the worship band had this kind of revival within the worship band. And we wanted to start playing spontaneous music. And so, and just worship and not do songs. And that was a major influence. But when I came out of the church, to just be spiritual rather than be churchy, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, be spiritual with God without religion, let's say, let's say, let's say it like that, okay? The music took off, absolutely took off. Suddenly, I wasn't performing anymore. Something changed tremendously and I suddenly said to myself, oh my goodness, this is why I was born. This is why I was put on this planet. I was put on this planet to make music to help people engage the spiritual side of themselves. And so we've been playing for 10 years with the same guys and we know each other so well that we could be playing three chords and I suddenly think to myself, I need to change to these chords instead. And we know each other so well and we're so wrapped up that literally we all change to the same chords at the same time.
0: Wow, you must it go- makes it
1: very easy to make spontaneous music.
0: Wow, and it probably has a kind of an electric kind of moment in your life.
1: It really, it really does. You know, I, it was like, I, I, I was like, I oh, loved music, always loved music, you know. My mom laughed, she says, the, the first words out of my mouth after mama and dada were, back, Jack, do it again. <laughs> you know they were steely dan fans in the uh, 70s, oh yes you know? i
0: know classic <laughs>
1: you know yes. uh, you know i'm like my goodness i think i was putting this planet for this anyway so the jewish side actually traced back my heritage and it turns out on the jewish side they were all rabbis who served in the temple and if they were rabbis who served in the temple that would have been all the way back to her time god and what line what line is it they're cohen's and who were the Cohens? They were the ones who provided worship in the temple. So it's just in my blood.
0: Yes, or DNA. Oh yes, it explains well, yeah. a lot.
1: My DNA, you know, it explains explains a lot. But anyway, oh,
0: so that's good. That's an interesting
1: a twist of conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it. It, it all it's all good. So look, I mean, I mean, just if you were to, if you could say something to your, say, like eighteen year old self, I mean, I just wanted, you know, when you were just. Just starting out in that kind of that kind yeah. of journey, I just wondered if there would be something you would say. Look, matey, I'll just give you a few words of advice. I won't lecture you for ages, just but this is something I've learned over the decades. I just wondered yeah. what that would
1: be. Yeah, I, I would definitely say to myself, dude, relax a bit and don't take yourself so seriously, and stop trying to stop trying to imitate the good performers that you're watching elsewhere and just be authentically yourself and if you do that you will make it i think that was the issue you know yes. a lot of guys go into music and they think oh, i'm going we're going to be as big as them or as big as them or as big as them and you know but i actually think that the ones who are the mega stars i mean you know Jimi Hendrix, he just loved music. Kurt Cobain, he just loved music. You know, I mean, I'm talking all the dead guys, you know. I keep doing. <laughs> he just loved music. But anyway, you know, these guys, I just think if you, instead of trying to make music, if you just make music, yes. it's a huge difference.
0: It's a huge difference, yeah. I mean, yes, one, one is kind of, yeah, a passion and love, and one's kind of almost a bit cynical in a job, isn't it, really?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I listened to the old lyrics and all my old lyrics, you know, every love song was actually really quite cynical, you know, and, 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 and very, they were very literary and clever, but, you know, but I, you know, the the lyrics we're doing now just stem out of something within ourselves and they're not the cleverest thing in the world, but there's something about this music that we're now making that, touches people at a heart level. And I think it's because we're just being authentically ourselves where we are at that moment, rather than trying to write a song that's going to be a hit.
0: Yes, I think that must be very tricky. I think, you know, I mean, I suppose when I, you know, most people say that, that song that we remember from decades, you know, all through the history of modern music, say, it was often quite spontaneous and done in a very, moment it wasn't like someone often spent weeks on a particular song i mean it's not always the case i know but yeah it's surprising how many people went oh yeah god we got that together quite quickly that just happened very simple idea very big
1: hits you yeah know? big hits. you know where do the hits come from you know they they, they seem to pop out of thin air you know yes. and, and you know divine divine inspiration you know whatever whatever it is whatever inspiration is uh you know so that's what I would say to myself, because actually it was in that third year of color form that we suddenly started drawing crowds of 200 to 300 people. And it was in that year where we were just making music and not trying to make music. Yeah. And that was the sweet spot. And if we had managed to get the John Peel session or get ourselves Popular in in an area of England where people were getting signed. I think in that year, if we had done it in that year, year three, I think we we could have made it. Yeah, I remember Cool as Shaker came out, and we went crying out loud, "That's freaking us!" But they, but they got it; they got the contract, not us.
0: Yeah, and there was another. I know you weren't quite like it, but there was another band called Sensor who mash yes. things and they were quite you know again there was no yep. one else doing what they were doing and again yep. they they got sort of you know they had that dance rap crossover and
1: yeah and they, got and they the had party. it they had something they really yeah. did it's you know
0: but yes you're right it probably you know as everyone said it is it's time and it's luck it's you know just a few things a few things kind of line up don't they the sort of you know the stars the planets and it's just like ah, okay you know we're on to that next spirit really. yeah but, Yes. Well, anyway, look, this has been fantastic. Thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. So, well, look, when I do it, I will I can send you a link and then you can always, um, yeah. Uh, I'd love
1: that. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. So,
0: yeah. you can always, yeah. your yeah. fans. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll great, put it on great, my
1: Facebook page.
0: Yeah. And the great thing is, you know, that putting your archive out there as well, I think it's just a brilliant thing to do. You know, it's a really, it also gives it a certain sense of, not closure, but a sense of, okay, you know, rather than it just kind of one day just disappearing, someone hits delete and it all just get, all goes in the landfill. It's nice to to really appreciate it and put it out there for people. Because yeah, you know, yeah, it's that nice. Some
1: great songs, you know. So I don't know if you're going to wind up putting any of the little snippets of music in in into the uh, the radio show. You know, I hope I hope that that's yes. Yeah, that well, I'll try and get
0: a, a couple because um yeah, it's a good one actually. But live and lock up. It all makes sense now.
1: Yes, that was the last recording that we did. Those yes. were all the last songs that we had written. So, Excellent. you know, And they were all written as band, you know? So it was yeah. a lot of fun. So, That's great. Yeah, brilliant.
0: Well, thank you ever so much.
1: You're very welcome, David, anytime. And if you want to ever talk about another whatever, or if you ever wanted to focus on The Watchmen, we could do that. But
0: yeah, anyway. totally. Okay, well, look, have a lovely evening and, and a great week, okay?
1: Yeah, thank take you care. very much. Yeah, Bye-bye. take care. Bye.
0: And that was me in conversation with Matt from The Colour and that is one amazing way to finish. Slightly stumbling. I love those end bits where you're not quite sure to say, right, I'm going, bye. But a big thank you to Matt for giving me the time for that interview from The Colour Form, and um, hopefully the material will be available very soon on all the usual social media platform sites and much, much more. Anyway, uh, this has been David Eastall. That is true. If you want to contact me for some random reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86 show. Also, all these shows have been archived and uh, you'll find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. So just check it out. And uh, yes, there you go. Do get in touch. Keep it positive. Otherwise, don't bother. Um, What can I say apart from goodbye? Have a great week and uh, stay tuned because I've got loads of other interviews here, there and everywhere. It's over. Bye.